Welcome to the Audit 15 Fund podcast. My goal with this podcast is to bring relevant internal audit topics to the table every 15 days. Today, we're going to be talking about the communication between CAEs and the board, as well as the communication with other significant stakeholders. To talk about that topic today, I have Doug Anderson as my guest. Doug has extensive experience in internal audit and risk management. He worked at the Dow Company Dow Chemical Company for over 20 years, half as the CAE, and was also a professor at Saginaw Valley Michigan State University. He was very active in global IIA volunteer leadership and subsequently served as a managing director at IIA headquarters. He has authored several publications and articles on internal audit and is currently a consultant on governance, risk management, control, and internal audit matters. Welcome, Doug, and thank you so much for joining the podcast. Thanks so much, Sean. All right. So we'll go straight to the questions here. So there, there was this report that came out uh, a few years ago, and you authored that report with uh, Morrison on communication and different uh, advice from stakeholders to CAEs. And one of the things that is discussed in that report is that some CAEs lack business acumen. Um, so how would you react to you know, either internal audit practitioners or CAEs who say, we don't need to have the business acumen, we are control experts. Uh, what would be your reaction to that uh, so, statement? So let me um, start by just talking a little bit about what was behind that report and the study that underpinned the report. What we were trying to accomplish was to find out why stakeholders are not always happy with the work that internal auditors are doing. There's, there were at the time, and even now I think, continue to be a lot of surveys that say that internal auditors don't quite meet the expectations of our stakeholders, there's a gap. That study and that project was to try to figure out why. And as you're absolutely right, business acumen just came out far and away, one of the largest reasons why stakeholders, both C-suite and board members, said, yeah, internal audit's not exactly doing what I want them to do because they don't really, un- they don't have the business acumen we need. They don't have the, that, that understanding. And so I would say your question, good question, but I would talk to that practitioner or that CE to say, you're looking at your role or your job the wrong way. They're not looking for a control practitioner. Right? If they want a control practitioner, they'll get somebody who's two, three years out of school that's memorized the checklist and read the book. <laughs> and that's not what they really want or need or how you're going to help the organization. It all starts back with the objectives of the organization and the risk. I, I'm back to an old finance guy. That was my graduate degree was in finance. So I define fi- risk as variability. You think you're trying to get something done, but stuff happens, risk events in the framework of COSO ERM, stuff happens, risk events occur that might prevent you from accomplishing what you want or actually supercharge you to give you the opportunity to accomplish more than you thought you were gonna do. So there's risk in accomplishing your objectives. How you manage those risks, there are different ways you can do that. You can just decide um, not to get into a line of business because it's got too much unpredictability, too much variability. You can decide to transfer by an insurance policy. But one of the main ways that you can manage a risk is by putting in adequate internal controls. So for internal auditors, when we start the conversation, 
by saying we're control experts. You've already said, ah, maybe I'll give some recognition to the business objective, but I know it's you know that old adage when you got a when you got a hammer in your hand, what are you going to do? Or or if you if you go to a doctor who's a surgeon, what is he going to want to do? Right, that you're going to want to use the tools what you're already geared up for. So if an internal auditor comes to that party saying, "Well, I know there's a number," well, if they come to the party thinking there's only one response to a risk, right. and that singular response is control it, he's already lost his audience. Right, because the audience may want something else. I mean, I remember this is actually what I was in the internal audit, um, where. One of the business leaders came to me and he wanted to license new technology. And the other company who wanted to license it was convinced it was going to work for our product and make our product better. And they happened to have an R&D guy in that company that used to work in our company in Dow. So he came to me and he was trying to value how much this technology, how much he should pay for the license agreement. And I won't get into all the minutia of it, but the answer was not to try to control it and watch their production and all that. We basically transferred the risk of it meeting its target performance in stage gate reviews to the other company by we paid them in pieces and dribs and drabs. As you meet a level or a target, then you get paid. Well, what is that in the concept of, hmm, we wanna leverage, we want to try to leverage the technology for new product business objective. We think we can make money at it, but there's a lot of variability around that. We're not really sure it's gonna work. We're not sure how our customer's gonna agree to it. We're not sure if we're gonna get the pricing we want around it. That's the business objective. In that situation, it wasn't control it. In that situation was transfer a bunch of risk to the other party because they were the ones convinced it was going to make money, not us. So we right. transferred it. So an auditor comes in and says, well, I'm a control expert and that's all I need is already decided that's the only tool in my toolbox. And that's not the right way to do it. So I think when stakeholders are saying, we want more business acumen. They want you to a, understand what you're trying to accomplish. I mean, uh, take a, a statement that you probably heard from others. I mean, if, if some auditor came into my shop or came in to work for me and had a checklist and it was going to test for all of those controls, they're approaching it the wrong way because I don't know if we need to control what we need to control, how important some of the variability or risks are going to be. We don't know. You could only do that by doing, as the standards, standards say, doing a risk assessment, trying to look at the risks and then decide what controls. Well, you can't understand the risk if you don't understand the business objective. Right. By definition, there's just no way you can do it. So you're, you need to start back with what the business objective is. And what does that mean? Business acumen. Yeah, I think you're right on point there changing the mindset from control expert and trying to eliminate risk to right. let's or manage. It. Yeah. Manage the risk, right? Yeah. Like how, so, how can we best manage? I think there's from, you know, there's a lot written about combined assurance. There's a lot written about ERM and there's discussion about whether internal auditors should also do risk management a company. I'm not going to go into all that. What I will say though, is that there's a lot from the risk management world. And I had the, um, opportunity to both be involved in the oversight group when COSO ERM was revised and as part of the working group that wrote ISO 31000. And as I went into those exercises, thinking like an auditor, thinking like an internal auditor, it really solidified for me and convinced me we as auditors are often start in the middle instead of starting at the beginning. 
And how do our stakeholders look at it? Do they look at it and say, oh, we have to control all this stuff? No, they're excited about making money or accomplishing objectives. If you're a nonprofit, maybe it's serving your constituency, right. whatever the whatever your objective is, that's where they're starting. And when we start halfway through the process saying, well, I'm just going to figure out what to hammer down and lock down, you can understand why the stakeholders are saying, you guys just don't have the business acumen you need. Right. Yeah. You know? Ch- change the mindset. Change yeah, the mindset change the mindset the beginning. To- and think more like a risk, understanding risk and the whole risk management process better, I think helps internal auditors get that con- concept. So one of the things we talked about in COSO ERM was, you know, you have this COSO framework, internal control framework, and internal control integrated framework, COSO IACIF, ICIF. You also have COSO ERM. And it wasn't clear the connection of those two. And in the revision, it was done in, I think, well, 20, whatever it is, 2013, something thereafter. That connection became real obvious. They made it explicit. You start with COSO ERM. That provides the environment. And then when you're getting to risk treatments or you're getting to what you're going to do to deal with risk or manage risk, if you're going to do it through controls, Go over and here we have this other framework that help walk you through how to manage and mitigate risks through internal controls. But there's a whole nother world out there. And um, yeah, that, I think that's a very good point. I mean, just, yeah, change the mindset. Flipping the question here a little bit, you know, mm-hmm. in the report, there's a, a board member from a university in Australia who said that, you know, CAEs, are, usually they present theoretical perspectives rather than practical ones. But if we flip the question and say, hey, uh, board members or significant stakeholders, they are the ones who don't have the, maybe don't have the appropriate uh, business acumen or are not challenging some of the stakeholders within the company. What can the CAE do in those situations, if anything? Sure. And, and I'll be the first one to uh, um, agree with the premise of your question that there are certain board members that, and even executive people of executive management that don't understand a lot of the inner workings of an organization. They don't understand. They only understand the top level. I mean, I think there's been some major um, horrific frauds and collapses of companies where you had good people on the boards and say, well, were they, were they bribed or were they incompetent? Well, neither of those things happened. It's probably they didn't really fully understand the situation. They only understood some of it where they were lacking that true understanding. And I remember one time I gave a presentation to an audit, to an audit committee on um, how often we got to a traditional manufacturing plant. And in the material, it was about every 10 years. We get to the smaller plants. And I had the CFO come back to me afterwards and say, Doug, you got to get to the audit committee talk later. And you got to get there at least every five years. I said, you have, or three years, three or five years. I said, you have no idea what you're asking for. You don't know how much <laughs> we, we have 600 plants. Okay. That's a lot of audit work. So that's not where the risk is, is what I was telling him. So it's a great example of they just like, well, we don't like it that you're not going to the plants. It's like, well, but you have to get back where, how do we set our scope, how we set our focus? So if you have one of those situations, right, where the board doesn't quite get it, not my little example, mine was easy, but other ones more important. I mean, my suggestion is number one, anytime you're dealing with a stakeholder group, you have to build relationship, strong relationships. And I think that came out of the report too. It's really important to do that. And there's all sorts of techniques and methods that you can do that. 
But what I like doing is through your performance, your insight, your engagement, you really prove that you're somebody that has something to say, that's a value. You can keep your confidence. I had one time in a, a member of executive management say, Doug, you're kind of like my father confessor. I know I could tell you anything and you won't, and you hold the confidence. I said, absolutely. I mean, that works for board members too, anybody. So you go, you, you, you show and you do your job great. You bring them to the point that you basically teach them that you could be trusted to bring them good, objective, well thought out information to them, right? With that basis then, You'll probably see situations where the board members or executives aren't really seeing something properly. And it's your job then to work with them on resting on an excellent relationship, to bring them along, to help them see the situation that they're not seeing. You can't go into a board member or an executive that you don't know well, that doesn't really know you and doesn't trust you and say, listen, you're screwing this up. You don't have... You don't know what you're doing. You're missing something big. That is not going to go over well. But if they trust you, they know you, and you approach them in a way that you kind of, I don't want to say, well, it's kind of like indirectly bring them along to help them understand your point of view on something and let them decide whether they want to accept it or not. And usually they will. Um, I mean, I had I had kind of an understanding with my audit committee chairs that we all got to read the pre-material. And every once in a while, I would see some pre-material from other members of management to the audit committee that I thought maybe wasn't as complete as it should be. Yeah. And, and I'm asking myself, are, are those board members going to, or the audit committee members, are they going to be able to ask the right questions to bring yeah. out? Because they don't really know the details I know. So I had this understanding that I would slip them a question. So I knew where their desk was and kind of where they put stuff. And so I put an envelope and I'd seal it and I'd leave it there. And then as we're assembling for the meeting, you know, hi, how are you doing? I remember real clearly one time I ought to remember saying, I got your note. <laughs> and that was all he said. Yeah. And then when we got to the point in the meeting where this presentation went, out came my question. And I always had this, this thinking that you're, you're trying to make your boss look good. You always want to make your boss look good, and you always want to equip your boss to succeed. If right. your boss looks good and your boss succeeds, that'll work for you too. Absolutely. So yeah. privately, offline, giving them the information they need or challenging their thinking on something. Yes. Right. Is is the way to help them come along so that they can then engage the right way. If they don't agree with you, not much you can do. Right. That's not your job. That's not your job. You don't have their job. You have yeah. your job. Yeah. So yes. And and the other thing I wanted to, to mention, John, especially is think about how much time a board member has to really spend on that job. It's not that much. Right. And if you're an internal auditor and you live in your company and you're doing all the things you should be doing, not just ticking and tying and testing vouchers and stuff, but really getting to know your organization and building that business acumen, which is business understanding, mm -hmm. you know a lot more about that organization than the board members will. You may not understand the strategy discussions, right? You may, because there might be some of that that you're not part of, right? The strategy, right. You, what, what my experience was, I got the distilled down version of those discussions. I didn't, I wasn't part of the board strategy discussions. 
So I may not have all that, but I know how things are happening inside the company. And I can bring that to a board member. It's not that they're not doing their job to the best of their ability. They just don't have the information base we have. Yeah. I've, I've never been rebuffed in, in a way of like, how dare you tell me that or how insolent, you know, no, I've never had that. We might disagree, but they've never said you shouldn't be, you shouldn't be bringing that to me. Yeah. It depends on how you bring it up too. So yeah. And like you mentioned in the beginning, if you have those strong relationships, it makes it easier. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I spent 10 years in public accounting and there is no way you can build the link, the strength of relationships as a public account than you can as an internal auditor. And so that's one of the unique advantages we have. Yes, absolutely. Cause we're, we're all in the same boat, you know, we're all part of the same. <laughs> we're paid from the same pocket. <laughs> it's like sometimes when I get into those discussions, I we you had to have a little picture badge, right? When I worked at Dow, and I had it on one of those little retractable string things on my belt, right? So you could hold it up to a card reader or something, and go back in. And when I get somebody that was, you know, like I could sense they didn't want to trust me, I would say I pull it out and I say, "My, I work for the same company you do." I'm only here to help this company. That's my only objective. Yes, yes. It's so hard for some people to understand. That. <laughs> it is, so, it is. Um, kind of like, you know, there's some specific things mentioned in the report about how mm-hmm. can CAEs increase their business acumen. You know, it mentions like how you can identify the essentials to the organization's success, assess uh, your business acumen based on those essentials, and then de- develop a plan to think like a business leader. From your experience, would you have any other input as to like a course of action that you can take to increase your business acumen? Yeah. So a lot of it, I, I would suggest it. Number one, it takes time. So I don't know who might be listening to this. And if they decide that they're going to be an excellent, a number one interlocker by spending a year and a half in company A, then a year and a half in company B, and a year and a half in company C, I'm going to say that's a challenge. In my experience, that's a challenge because to build that kind of business acumen takes time, even for an industry in which you have good experience and knowledge. Because everybody, every company does some things differently. I mean, I worked for a large chemical company, but after that, I also did some consulting internal consulting with other chemical companies. And you'd say, well, chemicals is chemicals, right? You put it in a big vat, you heat it up and out comes your ethylene. Well, there's a lot about how the company works and, and the, the nature of the inner workings of the company, which you need to really learn. So it takes time to, to, to build that. And where I found the most beneficial was I'm always looking for input, always looking for information. I would spend a lot of time with all levels of management. Obviously, as a CIE, I had more options to get to all levels of executive management. You know, when you're starting at the lower ends, you don't have quite that level, but we would bring people along with us uh, to some of those meetings simply for that purpose. But I would also spend time like I remember I was I was Dow Corporation, Dow Chemical Company had very strong treasury function, very strong treasury function, very aggressive. And I don't mean that in a bad way, but very active in managing the foreign currency exposures or interest rate exposures, the commodity price exposures they have. So they had, they were very good and recognized as being very good. Well, beyond my ability. <laughs> I wasn't as good as those guys, but I was supposedly auditing them. 
Yeah. So I remember one time spending nearly two hours with a single treasury trader talking through a cross-currency interest rate swap that was designated as an equity hedge. And I was interested in not the accounting, but because it was designated as an equity hedge, it didn't have to go through the same risk management measurements and metrics to control risk. And two hours, but I learned so much about how they think, how they look at it, what the markets were like, and how it fit into it. And, and, and I know there was another situation, this is what I was consulting, where I was talking to somebody who had never really talked to an internal auditor before. And he was a supply chain manager for, for a large area. And he was like, you know, why am I here? And we were doing some risk assessment. <clears throat> and so I just started asking questions. Well, you know, what kind of mode transports do you use in, in this area? I recognize in this part of the world, you're typically on, you know, this kind of mode, but what about for, for cross, cross the ocean? Do you use flexi packs? Do you use containers? What do you do? With it? And after we after I phrased a few questions, he looks at me and he says, you actually know what we do, don't you? <laughs> I said, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's, that's, and I took that as great confirmation of, okay, I spent 20 years, I learned a little bit something about supply chain, yeah. not controls, not this, about the supply chain stuff. So, you know, I, I would also say when I first started at, at Dow and I was auditing Treasury, I started reading Global Finance and Treasury Risk Management magazines. They were free. That's one of the reasons I got those. And I saw them in the Treasury function had some copies around. So they got them. I start reading Treasury Risk Management and half of it, I don't understand. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't get it. And global finance was more about global markets and stuff, but I kept reading anyways. I used to read Chemical Week every week, you know? And, and I, I remember sitting in a plant one time in Japan and the production leader trying to explain to me their product. And it's like, oh, and hey, that's sodium. And I was at that level sometimes, listening, but I'm always trying to soak up and learn and understand and going to the plants, talking to the people that run the plants, as much as you can just soak up, it's amazing yeah. how much you can learn. And as an internal auditor, you have the ability to do that. You take your water cooler time, you take your lunch time, you take your, you maybe take one somebody from the office out to dinner if you're traveling, right? And there's ways you can do this, it, but it takes time to, to try to, to dig into it and get it. And I'll tell you, it's not usually hard to get somebody to talk to you about their job yes, and I what agree. they like about their job. And if you yeah. ask the questions and listen and throw in a few questions, it's not difficult. Yes. And if you show that you did your homework before <laughs> in that example that with the supply chain manager, you know, they, they're more, even more likely to talk to you. Yes. Yes. So, yes. Um, all right. So, you know, changing gears here a little bit uh, and talking more like going back to the leadership. So in the study, uh, talk about CAEs and they have to have a vision, not only for the internal audit function, but also for the organization as a whole which I think it, it makes sense, but, you know, kind of like my auditor hat here, like, couldn't that create <laughs> independence issues? Yeah. And, and, and clearly when you're the CAE or you're responsible for your own function, like the internal audit function, you're going to create a vision and a strategy and a multi-year um, plan with tactical actions and all that to execute. Yeah, you're going to do all that because you own it. Are you going to be doing that for the large organization? Well, of course not. Right. What that really intended to get to is you need to understand what the vision for the organization is. Independence really means you have the ability to operate without undue influence. 
that nobody can direct you and nobody can um, overrule your thoughts. Nobody can tell you what you can, can't look at, look at and can't influence your decisions. I mean, we, we could talk about independence for hours. So people, you know, when somebody tells me, well, you need to do this or you need to do that or you can't report this. I love that one. You can't put that on paper. It's like, well, just watch me. <laughs> I'm going to put it on paper. That's having independence. Right to be able to do those things that are in your job, but understanding your business so well that you can envision what the organization will look like in the future—that's not a conflict. That, in fact, I would almost argue, if you can't do this, I question whether you really have sufficient business acumen, understanding the business and its environments and its opportunities. I mean, if you're trying to look at an organization, you know, the big organizations, little organizations, some some things are more important than others. Some things will have more bang for the buck as far as where they put that effort. Some things will have more environmental impacts coming in on you and the impact. If you don't understand those, you really can't make sure that the scope of what you're doing is focused in the right place. So I don't think that sentence was intended to mean Okay. <laughs> you're studying the vision. It's you need to understand the vision. You need to have that vision in your head, or you won't be able to get anything, or you won't be effective in your role. Yeah. No. Very good point. Good point. And uh, you know, kind of going back to the report as well. Uh, about ninety percent of the respondents from the survey said that internal audit can bring value as an educator, yeah. and I I love it. I love that statement. But in practice, <laughs> it doesn't feel that way sometimes. <laughs> so no. how can we bridge that gap of like, hey, we're here to help and, you know, we're here to add value to the organization. And then, you know, they say that they like us as educators, but sometimes it doesn't feel that way. Yeah. So um, two or three things before I get into kind of my answer to that, you know, think about the survey. So the survey, we were surveying the board members and the C-suite. Okay. They, I've always felt that they have higher expectations and more lofty expectations for what internal audit can do than maybe that middle manager that you're just making his day be 12 hour days for a while because you have so many questions and he's he or she's got a lot of work too. So this wasn't asking those middle managers. Okay. This was asking the top level. And to be honest with you, I didn't know when we wrote the questions for the survey, I didn't know what response we were going to get for this. And I was a little surprised it was so strong for educating. Uh, okay, that's interesting. So I gave this a lot of thought. And, and one of the things we need to make sure is we understand what an educator means. I do not believe that they thought education was leading training programs, mm -hmm. right? It's not right. about writing stuff and beating people up and telling them, you know, learn this or learn that. I don't think the word is. I think most of the education that they're talking about it and what I would suggest, it's coming through a discussion of risk and risk responses as they line up with business objectives. So uh, let's take a, a personal example, right? So I was um, in a fairly good sized church in a Midland where I live there. And there was a point in time, the economy wasn't great. And so some of the offerings went down, the, the income went down a little bit. But I also knew in a backstory that the treasurer um, was a retired guy who wasn't a strong financial guy. And his wife had serious medical issues. 
And he had just bought a big tractor trailer thing to tour the country. And so I went back to old Cressley's Fraud Triangle and said, what's the possibility of he's got opportunity, he's got, you know. And so I actually went to the head pastor and said, um, have you, do you have any reason to believe? Have you seen anything or thought of anything? I'm just looking at the outside right. that maybe we're not, you're not seeing all the money that's coming in. <laughs> maybe some of these <laughs> have been skimmed off the top. I don't know. He looks at me with a gasp, of course, you know, but he looks at me and says, I just never think that way. <laughs> I never thought of that. And then we yeah. went on to have a discussion. And I think that's the way often managers are, though, in businesses. They're not thinking so much about the risk. They get excited about the idea of what's going to happen, about what they can do and how they can grow things or how can they can fix things. And to have a good discussion with them, well, let's just talk about what could go wrong. You know, because they might say, well, why would you want us to do this and this and this? Let's, and, you know, whatever we're recommending or suggesting in a conversation. I'd say, well, let's think back to what could go wrong, right? How could you be prevented from accomplishing what you want? Or how could there be opportunities to do even better than you thought that you're going to miss because you're not looking at that, that variability that will provide more opportunity than you thought? And they often, a lot of managers just don't think that way. And for an internal auditor, that's got to be how we think all the time. That's got to be part parcel of how we're thinking. So taking those opportunities to talk through what the organization is trying to accomplish, related risk events, how to respond to that, that I think is really um, what I think they were trying to get as far as educating. We think a way that's a little differently than the high flyers that are trying to run the business and make great money, or even the cautious conservative person that doesn't want the butadiene tank to blow up, which is a very good thing. You know, in a chemical yes. company, I mean, it's not just we're going to grow. It's we, we need to make sure certain serious things don't happen. But educating them in this way positions you to help the managers improve their performance in their jobs. And that's really bringing value. Yes, yes. Helping them think through it. I can go back to that example where we're licensing the technology by thinking through it a different way. Right. We saved about two million bucks. Just because we thought through it, I, I was able to help the manager think through it a different way than they would have otherwise. We say, yeah, bunch of money. Yeah, that's a great example. I mean, if you get the feedback that I never thought about it this way, then you're asking the right questions, right? Yes, yes exactly right. You're so, bringing it up the right way. Yes, yes. Uh, and I think you touched on a point there that's kind of like the follow-up question here. You know, managers, sometimes they don't think that way, or maybe that's the company culture too. Yes. Uh, how can internal audit internal auditors be an agent of change in improving the company culture to make people kind of think of different way of be more receptive to yeah. uh, what we bring, you know? So uh, your, your, your question trends me into another topic, which is a big, uh, one of my favorite topics. And that is looking at the culture of an organization. Because I believe, in fact, I wrote an article for the Internal Auditor Magazine, oh gosh, probably 2017 it was in there. And it was just like the first introduction from my perspective of what it means to think about auditing culture. I mean, there's been lots written about auditing culture. Most of it, in my humble opinion, is not worth reading. 
It just doesn't say anything. It says it's really, really important. And you hear the you know, culture strategy for breakfast. Actually, that quote, you can't find it anywhere. Um, officially presented. He probably said something like that, but not those exact words. Yeah. I've looked. I've, I've looked seen everywhere. that one before. <laughs> I've looked everywhere for it, and you can't actually find it written down that he said that. But it's a great concept anyways. Don't get me wrong. And he probably believes it. But um, so, but we're thinking about the culture, you know, first of all, recognize we're not responsible for culture. And it grates me a little bit when, when the challenge, you didn't do this, John, but others will say, well, gee, how can internal, how can you improve the culture? I like, I can't improve the culture. I can do some things to set in motion those things that can improve a culture, but I can't improve the culture except in my own little shop. Right. And right. there is no one culture in an organization. Even in a group of 20 people, there's multiple cultures. I agree. And there's <laughs> cultures all over the place from top to the bottom, all the rest of that. So, but really the best way we can impact culture is to make sure we're constantly thinking about it in the scope of what we do. Now, culture is extremely important, but I would venture to say it's rarely audited. So I, I did an experience. We, we did some experimenting. I used to do this when I was a CA. We try some new things without shh, don't tell anybody. Don't tell the board or executive management we're doing this. We were just doing it internally because I want to see if it would work. At the end of each audit, I would force the audit team to sit down and rate, um, just for ourselves, the five elements of COSO internal control environment framework. Mm -hmm. You know, how good is their control environment? Culture's a big part. How good is the risk management? How All those kinds of things. And, it, and the feedback I got was, well, it's really an enlightening exercise because we're always thinking about those transactional tactile types of controls. We're not thinking about risk management. We're not thinking about control environment. We do think about information communication and monitoring sometimes, sometimes not. And so we've got the teams thinking more holistically about what it is that helps an organization accomplish what it's trying to accomplish. So if we, it's rarely audited, we tried to start thinking about it. In fact, I issued a few audit reports that basically just flat out said the culture's bad here and the problem is the culture the management has created here. Um, and we really need to explicitly audit culture, talk with management in the audit committee about our views on not the culture, but the multiple cultures that exist and where are the ones that are in important areas that are contributing or detracting from the ability for the organization to meet its, its objectives. I mean, this if we talk about it in our audits and talk about it in the context of what we're trying to do. I mean, I had one example where it was a function. It was a pretty important function. Um, and we had, let's say we had two dozen issues and they weren't minor. This was a big impact area, two dozen issues. It was a corporate function. And okay, we'll fix those. So we go back the next year and the next year I thought, okay, this is, I didn't like what we saw last year. So this coming year, I'll review it personally. And I put, you know, the crack team of auditors, like you, John, we get all John's on this, the crack team of auditors so that I knew everything was really solid. And we ended up with another two dozen issues, but they were different issues. They weren't the same two dozen issues. And I had heard some things around the side. I had watched personnel. In fact, it had a conversation in a stairwell that was pretty significant. And it's such that when we got to the exit meeting, I canceled all the people coming except for the, the leader, 
and my in charge and me and the leader of the functions, his right hand person. Mm-hmm. And I just started out saying, you know, we had all these issues last year. We have as many issues this year, but they're different. But there's really only one issue I want to talk about. And that issue is you. You're the problem because you have prioritized this aspect that we were looking at. It was more of a compliance issue. Actually, it was a SOX issue. It was Uh a compliance kind of SOX issue. You have prioritized this so low. And I don't think you appreciate the impact it could have to our compliance with this law Mm-hmm. that we're always going to have two dozen issues every time we come around until you change your attitude, i.e. culture, wow. around how this is addressed in the organization. So until until I start doing that kind of thing, that's how you change and affect it so that they're thinking about it and looking at it. And I know I had good conversations with the audit committee about various executives, how I saw the executives doing their things, various functions, Um And it's really an opportunity for us to bring that to the fore because at the end of the day, we can't change it. But I I remember one situation that was kind of a sensitive topic and I brought it up. And for the next six months, the audit committee was asking senior management in the company every month to give an update on this topic. Yeah. (laughs) It was kind of a culture type issue, right? And um, it's like, yeah, that's, that's what I want. When the when an audit committee person is asking senior management, they don't ignore them. They can ignore the little auditor. Yes, they can't yes. ignore that. So yeah. I think just by doing our job, but keeping it front and center for what we're trying to do is a way. And it's, you know, communicating, going back to our overall topic, communicating with stakeholders, executive management board, it's never easy to do that um, because we are a bit of a different weird animal in the company. And, and I had the opportunity to be, in corporate controllers doing the weird accounting at Dow Chemical. I had the opportunity to to be the finance director for global business. I had the opportunity helping other companies with risk management type issues and and internal audit type issues where I got to see the larger company. And, you know, we are different because we have a different remit. We have a different role to play. And so that always is going to get in the way a little bit for what we're trying to do in the communication and on that. And if we just do our best in performance, we make it really clear, we build it all on strong relationships and we just deliver, deliver what we're supposed to deliver. You know, it, it it's hard for somebody to argue. I had one, one uh, as you could probably tell, I have a story for everything. <laughs> I had one senior leader in an organization that didn't like one of my audit reports. And I went in and I started the meeting and, and they said, this is a horrible report. You should fire the auditor that did it. Oh, wow. I said, well, that's me. And I knew, I thought we might have an issue. So where we normally put the, the team lead on the report and the team members were listening to the report, we didn't do that this one. So there was, the only name was mine was on okay. the report <laughs> uh, because I thought we might have an issue. And I said, well, tell me what's wrong. Tell me it's an issue here. Went through the whole report. Nothing wrong. Everything was accurate. Everything was stated well, just didn't like the answer. Right. And so if we do our job with the utmost professionalism, we'll be able to carry these difficult conversations, whether it's um, about culture, whether it's about you know problems that are going on that are not getting elevated the right way or, or whatever. And that's part of you know, the things we've talked about, part of educating the audit committee, letting them see we started the conversation 
with big organizations that it's really difficult for the people that sit at the top to peer inside. I mean, we all know, I knew, high-level man, middle management that reacted to people above them or, at, or engaged with people above them very different than people below them. Yes. And so the people, and the guy kept getting promoted. I was like, can't you see what this person's like? But it's hard. It's hard for them to see that. So if we do these things and we're just good, solid work with the right attitude and mindset in mind, we can bring great value to our stakeholders. And I think then the expectations gap would go away um, in, in many ways between what stakeholders want and what we're delivering. Of course, you got to keep your ears open. I know there's a lot of um, organizations with the chief auditor thinks they ought to be uh, a consultant half the time. I was not in a company like that. And I think that's a mistake personally, but that's maybe just me. Um, but I was benefited that my audit committees I've worked for, and I've worked for a few different audit committees in different organizations. Um, they were pretty comfortable that they wanted me in the role I felt comfortable in. They didn't expect me to be McKinsey. Yeah. <laughs> You want McKinsey yeah, to yeah. hire McKinsey. Yeah, you get the consultant in. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, I, I love it. I, I really like the idea of actively auditing culture because sometimes, like you gave the example of the person that, you know, you had so many issues, but the issue was actually the person. Sometimes that's the root cause of the problem, right? Yeah. It's, it's that's, culture. Right. And that's the kind of issue that doesn't get up to stakeholders enough. Right. Right. And and we need to find ways to do that. Good, good business acumen, having to trust the people you're working with, um, in having good experience work, and then keep thinking about what's really driving what you're seeing. And yeah. it's not always, you know, Susie or Billy failed to review a reconciliation. No, they might have reviewed. They might have failed to review the reconciliation because they know their boss wouldn't care if they did or not. Yes, sometimes there's a. There may be a larger issue behind. Yes, exactly <laughs> yes. right. Exactly yes. Right. All right. Well, thank you so much, Doug, for your time. Really appreciate you sure. uh, taking the time to participate in the podcast. Okay. Thank you, John. All right. Thank you.